0: Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you, as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. All right, y'all can take a seat. How about this? You get double duty of me today. Um, man, what a, what a good morning. What a good morning to celebrate our mothers. Um, Kendall, happy Mother's Day. My awesome wife loves being called out. Um, Mom, happy Mother's Day. Tracy, happy Mother's Day. Well, good morning. Let me get to my intro. I was not supposed to be playing this morning, um, but we live in the world of pandemic still, whether it's COVID or it's all of the, the diseases that we were absent from for two years. Those are coming back now, so we're not sure what it is, but uh, I'm grateful to still have a voice. I've taken a lot of cough drops this morning um, and that my fingers aren't bleeding, so I'm grateful for that. But uh, what, a, what a blessing it is. To be able to celebrate um, and remember uh, holidays like today on Sundays, holidays like Mother's Day, like Father's Day on Sundays, because um, this is why we hold fast to the truth that the church is a people and the church is not a place. It's not an event. It's a people because the church is to be where we gather together to rejoice with one another, to mourn with one another. The church is the place for us, um, the the people for us to be loved by and give our love to, to be comforted by and give our comfort to. And so as we grow in Christ, we are also growing together as a church. We're going to be in two texts today. So we'll be in Joshua 1. So hold uh, your, your hand there or snag a connect card or a pen In front of you, or you can grab one of the Bibles that's under the chairs. Uh, We're also going to be in Colossians 3, 12 through 15. And we're going to flip back and forth. We'll look at these together. Um, Joshua 1 gives us a framework for flourishing. All right. If you go on our website or on YouTube later, you'll find that the title of this sermon is a framework for flourishing. Colossians 3 kind of paints that picture a little bit more for us, the framework for flourishing. I know that um, if you're using a Bible app, I'm sorry. If you like have the ability to open up a tab, that's great. If not, we'll have some some verses on the, on the, the projector, but we're going to be in Joshua 1 and Colossians 3. Let's first look at, um, well, I guess second, Brady already read uh, Joshua 1 for us, but let's Let's look at Colossians 3. We're given a picture of what Christian flourishing is. What does it mean to flourish as the church? Colossians 3.12. Put on then. So Paul um, through, the Holy, through Paul, the Holy Spirit just told the Colossian church, and he tells us to put to death our sin, to put to death our fleshly desires. If you remember last week, we talked about these two ways that the whole Bible presents to us. We can trust and follow God and in that there's life or we can trust and follow our own way and in that there's death. And Paul, um, through the, the power of the Holy Spirit in verse five through 11 says, put to death that second way. Put to death the desire for you to go and be your own God and follow in your own path and put on as God's chosen ones Holy and beloved. Another way to say beloved, because I don't use that word, is dearly loved. Dearly and deeply loved. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians 3 gives us the picture in color of the framework in black and white that Joshua gives us. So we get this framework for flourishing in Joshua 1:10 through 18, and we get that the the, it's, I mean, it's like the paint by the numbers, right? Joshua's laying out the picture for us and Colossians 3 fills it in with, with vibrant color of what it means to flourish as God's people. Now, how exactly does Joshua 1 and Colossians 3 connect? Well, I'm glad that you asked because I spent all week answering that question Remember that Joshua fits into the Hebrew Bible category of the prophets. Joshua is a book of the prophets. It's the first book of the prophets. It does tell the historical narrative. It is that too. But in the Hebrew category of the Old Testament, it fits into the prophets. And what do the prophets do? They call us back to one or more truths. So what Joshua 1, 10 through 18 is calling us back into is God's loving plan for the flourishing of his people and the world. Joshua one is calling us to the truth of God's loving plan to bring flourishing to his own people and therefore to the world, okay? So I'm gonna give you our framework for our flourishing. We've got four shared truths. First, we've got a shared foundation. Our shared foundation is our collective identity as the people of God, as chosen, holy, and dearly loved. We've got a shared foundation. We've got a shared mission. Together we are chosen. And if you're writing writing frantically, just leave some space. We're gonna come back and I'll have these slides up here again. A shared mission. Together we are chosen by God so that we could reach the nations with the gospel, so that we could bless the whole world through the love of God. A shared mission, a shared foundation, a shared mission, a shared purity is number three. Together, we are made holy so that our lives would bring glory to God. The holiness of the church glorifies the Father. We have a shared purity. And then number four, if ever there was a last but not least, it is a shared love. Together we are loved. We are loved so that we can love. So that we could love God, so that we could love one another, as Jesus says is the great commandment. This framework for flourishing is built on a shared foundation. The shared foundation of Joshua 1 is the same as the shared foundation of Colossians 3. The shared foundation of Israel is the shared foundation of God's church. Let's look at verse 11 because this shared foundation is a collective identity. Verse 11 of Joshua 1 Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people. Now I'm going to stop right there. It seems sort of innocuous and in passing. Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people. But that, that collective pronoun right there, the people, was on purpose. The people is a group, right? This is all of Israel. We're talking about them as one. They are unified as a people. Their shared identity as the people is given to us at the end of verse 11. Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you're to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Now, really quick, that three days, I thought there was something to that. It's just a way to say, in a few days later, you're going to do this. That's kind of their ancient Hebrew way of saying X number of days. Because there's a story that happens in between this command and the end of the three days. Um, and so there's no contradiction there. Three days is not exact just means a few days. So they're taking possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Do you see the, the possession between these two? The people and the Lord your God. There's a relationship between these. We have the people of Israel belonging to God. And the Lord your God belonging to the people of Israel. So they're in a covenant relationship. They're a whole people belonging to God and God belongs to them. If you remember uh, a couple weeks ago on Church Planning Sunday, um, the preacher talked about 1 Peter 2, who is God making for himself? A people of his own possession. It's not just in 1 Peter. It's all through scripture. A people of his own possession. So now let's flip over to Colossians 2. Three, that bookmark is already paying off. A people for his own possession. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, holy and dearly loved. You see, before the Holy Spirit tells the church in Colossae and and us to how we should act towards one another, he gives us the foundation he tells us, before I'm going to lead you into this, this painted picture of flourishing, you need to know what fuels it. It's that you are the chosen, holy, and dearly loved children of God. That identity is given to you. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you follow him, the identity of God's chosen, holy, and dearly loved child is given to you. It's yours. You are chosen. You are holy. You are dearly and deeply loved by God. That's not something for you to achieve. That identity is given to you when you put your faith in Christ. There's nothing you have to do to earn it. And because there's nothing you have to do or nothing you can do to earn it, there's absolutely nothing you can do to lose it. It's yours forever. You belong to God, and he belongs to you. We lived in a house in Abilene. Should I bring this up again? This house had cracks in every wall and every ceiling of every room. The plumbing had to be repaired. The middle of the house was higher than the kitchen and the bedrooms, We had a hard time selling that house, but the point is, I'm no Mark Katox, I'm no Forrest Sanderson, but the point is, is that house healthy? Is the house healthy? No, right? What's wrong with the house? The cracks reveal that the foundation is broken. The cracks in the wall, the cracks in the framework, the cracks in the structure of the house they were on the outside too, on the bricks. The cracks in the house reveal that the foundation is broken. And in order for us to sell the house, the foundation had to be repaired. Thankfully, insurance covered that. But the point is this foundation of our identity as God's chosen, holy, and dearly loved children is critical to how we live our lives. If we do not understand who we are in Christ, we will not, not we cannot, not we should not, not we're gonna have a hard time, we will not be unified in our mission, we will not live pure and holy lives, and we will not be able to love one another. If the love of God is not in us, fueling our identity. We have not love to give. You are chosen, holy, and dearly loved. Okay, keep your spot in Colossians 3. Let's look again at Joshua 1. We're going to look at verses 11 and 13. Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people. Now here's the mission. As we work through um, our, our shared foundation. Now we're working through our shared mission. Pass through the camp of the people and command them. Prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in. Here's the mission. To take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Verse 13. Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. Now he's speaking specifically to the eastern tribes. Saying the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Now the eastern tribes settled um, on the other side of the Jordan. So The the camp of Israel is about to cross into the Jordan, into the promised land, but there's three tribes that have stayed back because they have felt like that land is best to suit their needs. They're shepherds, and that land is a land for livestock. And so they asked Moses before he died, can we stay here? This land really suits our needs. And Moses said, yes, but I will let you stay here, but you are not getting out of the battle. You must fight with your brothers when we enter the land. And so Joshua says here, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. And, and remember, he says, hey, hey, Moses told you, I didn't tell you this, Moses told you, and Moses was the servant of the Lord. Remember that. Moses was the servant of the Lord, and he told you that you're not to stay here. Your women and your children can settle, but you must go and fight with your brothers. Now, this common mission, this shared mission was that God was giving his people a place of rest, a place of leisure, a location of prosperity and blessing. And this promise of this land of rest is anchored in Genesis 12. We talked about this last week. This comes up often, this Genesis 12 to promise that God made to Abraham, I will multiply you, I will bless your family, and I will give you a land of rest so that you can bless the nations, so that all the world would see who I am and come to you and live in this land of prosperity and follow me. The promise originally for this land was rooted and anchored in a shared mission, not just to be here and to to rest and have leisure, and that's it, but that it would proclaim the goodness of God and invite people in, the shared mission of God's people. We see um, Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, give us this exact same mission. Now, I want you to notice, God calls Joshua to go into the land so that through their relationship with God, the world would be blessed. Jesus, in Matthew 28, calls us out so that the world would be blessed. Let's look at uh, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. The very beginning of the New Testament, this fourth category of the scriptures. Matthew 28, I should have had a bookmark here. 19 through 20, Jesus lived a perfect life, died an innocent death on our behalf, was buried, and on the third day, he was raised, right? He didn't, he didn't just ascend into heaven and that was it. After his resurrection, he came back to earth to give his disciples, uh, who will now be called apostles, he gave them a command. Here's this command. Go, therefore, because I have done this, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we notice a couple of things, just real quick. God calls Joshua to go into the land. Jesus calls his disciples to go out, both for the same purpose, the shared mission, to bless the nations with the, the love and the mission of God to invite people into relationship with him. Now look at this. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This first way of living, this trusting and following God. We saw this last week in Joshua 1, 1 through 9. We saw this. I hope that uh, some of you may have gone back and looked at Genesis 2, Joshua 1, and Psalm 1. If you didn't, I really encourage you to do that. It gives you a whole picture for what the Old Testament is communicating. Genesis 2, Joshua 1, and Psalm 1. And Jesus is the picture of Psalm 1. This man that does not stand In the place of sinners. He does not um, walk in the counsel of the wicked. He does not sit with the scoffers. But instead his delight is in the instructions of the Lord. And it makes him like a tree. A tree that goes back to Genesis 2. It makes him like a tree planted by streams of water. Whose leaves, leaves do not wither. And it bears fruit in its season. This is Jesus. And now he's saying... I'm sending you. I, the tree, am sending you out to make disciples and teach them about this way of following God's instructions. Okay, the very last thing. What anchors both of these messages because Jesus says, go therefore, the therefore is because of his life, death, burial, and resurrection. But even that is anchored in, the purpose of that is anchored into this very last line of Matthew. And behold, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's look back at Joshua 1, verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What's constant? The presence of God, because of that foundation that we are his people. We have a shared foundation as the chosen, holy, and dearly loved children of God, which calls us into a shared mission to bless the nations with the love of God. Okay, I can turn my page. The the gospel can be used as a diagnostic tool. Our understanding of our identity in Christ can Can diagnose, or or rather, um, we should be able to use uh, what our lives, how we're living our lives, in order to diagnose our understanding of the gospel. Let me put it that way. If we are struggling to find a shared mission, if we are struggling to exist in a shared mission, to bear fruit in a shared mission, what's broken? The foundation. We've got to repair the foundation if we are not living out of a shared mission to bless the nations with the gospel, and not just like overseas, the nations means San Angelo too. It means all people, our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members, our friends. We bless all people without discretion. That's why when Jesus says, love your neighbor, and someone's like, yeah, but who's our neighbor? And Jesus is like, that's the point. It's a purposeful ambiguity that everyone is your neighbor. Our shared mission comes from the foundation of our identity in Christ. When our foundation is in Christ, his presence will then calm our anxieties and he'll lead us to speak truth to our family members, to our friends, to our coworkers. If we're struggling in our workplaces or in our relationships, it, it, it doesn't have to, when you preach the gospel in those contexts, it doesn't have to be like, okay, let me remember um, the order of the whole story. You just link the truth of your life into the, what's happening in the people around you. It's way more simple than we give it credit for, but it, it, you, you have to have some boldness from the Holy Spirit. It is nerve-wracking, it's okay. If you feel nervous, that's because you know the stakes. You know the stakes of getting it wrong. And we live in an enlightenment, um, post secular uh, world where people like to argue. And our loving them with the gospel and blessing them with the gospel feels like hate. But we're still called. We're still called to love. That's why the Bible emphasizes that it's not just our words, but it's our actions that preach the gospel. The love of Christ in us, when we have our identities rooted in him, the love of Christ in us overpowers our fears to inviting people unlike us into our homes in order to comfort them with the gospel in their pain and suffering. Okay, our shared foundation is our identity in Christ from which we are given a shared mission as God's chosen people to bless the nations. Here's that that third piece. We've been given a shared purity that allows us to display the goodness of God. Do you see how all this is really linked? That's why all the cracks in, in that house were really linked together from one foundation. We have a shared purity. We've been given a shared purity that allows us to display the goodness of God. We were made holy, we are made holy so that God's glory would be evident in our lives. And our shared purity takes us to Joshua 1:16. We'll come back to verses 14 and 15. Joshua 1:16 through 18. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go, just as we obeyed Moses in all things. Just real quick, uh, pause. They did not. You don't need to read Exodus. Israel did not obey Moses in all things, but that—that's okay. What they're saying by by this, making this statement, was that their devotion because. They may not have uh, obeyed Moses in all things, but guess what? They still ended up where God led Moses to have them end up. They still ended up on the other side of the Jordan. So when they pronounce and proclaim their obedience to Joshua, it's not irony, it's not foreshadowing, because they're not going to obey Joshua. It's a holy devotion. We make the same devotions to God, right? When we find ourselves in our own brokenness and sin, what do we say? God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. He already has forgiven you. Keep praying that prayer though. Please forgive me. I need you to give me the energy to to keep going because I want so badly to follow you. That's what they're saying. But there's a caveat to their loyalty to Joshua. They're They're not just like, Holy, bloodthirsty, devoted to one human leader. Listen to what they say here in verse uh, 17. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. That is a massive statement. God was clearly with Moses. We end Deuteronomy. This isn't in my notes. I'm sorry, Britt. Let's look at Deuteronomy real quick. The very last paragraph in verse 10, this is is why this is such a big deal, the presence of God with Joshua and why the people care so much about the presence of God with Joshua. Verse 10 in Deuteronomy 34, there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses. There has not arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. This is the type of relationship Israel wants with their God. Moses was a representative of the people, just like they're asking Joshua, hey, we will follow you only if you will stand before God for us, only if you will be with him and your presence with him means our presence with him and his presence with us. We can be devoted to God only if you are devoted to God. And let me remind you that Joshua is not us. Joshua is not a picture of anyone in the church. It's not a picture of me or Brian. Joshua is a picture of Jesus. I'm getting ahead of myself. All right. That gets me excited. Okay, they, they commit to obey Joshua only when the presence of God is with Joshua they're trusting that God is leading them. They need a leader who will lead them with God's leadership. Uh, let's look at Colossians 3.17. Flip back over. Colossians 3.17. This is, this is that, that presence with us. Um, the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is in us. We don't have to Just count on uh, God, Jesus being present with God. God is now present with us. Jesus himself declares that the union of the Holy Trinity, God uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, as unified as they are in heaven, we're brought into that unity. And the Spirit is in us. And so whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. So remember last week, we already talked about this, the refrain of scripture, that we have two ways before us that we can choose to trust and follow God. We can repent. We can turn from living life our own way and believe and have faith and trust in God. Or we can trust in ourselves to be our own gods. We can go our own way. The first way is a way of flourishing. This is the Colossians 3. This is Joshua 1, trusting and following God. The second way leads to death. This is why in Colossians 3, 5, through Paul, the Holy Spirit tells us, put sin to death. John Owen famously says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. This is our shared purity, remember? Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Colossians 3, 5, put to death, therefore. The point of all this is that when we we are trusting and following God, our lives are on display. The world will look at us as Christians and know who God is or know who we believe God to be. So if we are living holy lives, trusting and following Jesus in his instructions, depending on our identity to fuel that holiness, then we'll proclaim the goodness of God, the glory of God. But if we are choosing our own way, we're actually then, if we're calling ourselves Christians, yet we're choosing to follow our own desires, do you know what we're doing? We're, co- we're contributing to disinformation because we're presenting a contradictory gospel that we say, oh yeah, I trust and follow Jesus, but actually I go and do my own thing. We're telling people what God is not like and presenting it as what God is like. How confusing does that make us? Now do you understand why people say, you Christians, why people feel judged by us, We have a tendency to present a contradictory gospel, but in our repentance, in our faith, when we turn from our ways and we let that even be on display, when we choose the way of Jesus over our own ways and and we don't do it in hiding or in secret because this faith is not only a personal faith. We've been called to go and bless the nations with this faith. This is how we bless the nations with the message of salvation by showing the world that the promises of the gospel are true, that God does bless and love us, and he makes us right. He makes us holy. Unfortunately, we live in a time that I cannot leave this unsaid. The book of Joshua does not give permission to respond to sin by treating one another with hostility, especially violence and murder, okay? I wish that didn't have to be said, but it does. But what do we do with Joshua 1.18? It's still in Scripture, and Scripture does not contradict itself. Joshua 1.18, whoever disobeys whatever you command him shall be put to death. This verse reminds us that the penalty of sin is death because God is a pure and righteous and holy God. And we are meant to be a pure and righteous and holy people because of him. It reminds us that the penalty for sin is death. Not only the penalty, but also the way of sin leads to death. We all choose to make ourselves God, whether it's um, living our whole lives that way or it's in flippant moments of carelessness or following our own desires. We all choose that second way, okay? Now, that means we all deserve the penalty and the way, the outcome, the fruit of sin, death. But God, being rich in mercy, loving us, with an everlasting love sent his own son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to take that penalty for us, to give us the option now of reconciliation, of forgiveness, of the purity that we could never achieve. The purity of of God and Israel was hung on the cross to say, here it is, do you want it? It's yours to take, just say Yes. And so we turn from going our own way and we trust and we follow in this Jesus on the cross who is no longer on the cross. He's resurrected from the dead and his spirit lives in us to produce holiness in our lives. Matthew 18, um, I, I gotta do this really quick. In Matthew 18, Jesus gives us instructions for how to defend the purity, not just of the person, but of the whole church, okay? We're not going to look there. Um, You'll just have to write it down and go look at it later. But there's this this stepped approach that we call people to repentance, to faith in the gospel. And if they do not repent, we treat them like outsiders, right? And a lot of times we read that and we're like, oh, I don't like doing that. How does Jesus treat outsiders? He eats dinner with them. He preaches the gospel to them. He invites them, he invites himself into their home. He invites them into relationship. He draws nearer to them and says, "Listen, you're not repenting. That means you don't understand who you are. You don't understand the gospel. Let me tell you again. Let me tell you again and let me tell you again. This is church discipline. It's not a crack in the whip. It's a constant approach and reapproach to the gospel. Now, we are an elder led church. The responsibility, biblically, the responsibility of this type of defense of our shared purity is given to the elders. Right now, Brian and I are the only functioning elders. We've got some, some older, wiser men that help us, that um, tell us no. And they tell us yes. But right now at Redeemer, here all the time on Sundays, is Brian and I. Please pray for this church to have more elders. We need help. We need help to defend the purity of Redeemer. But also pray for one another. Pray that, that God, through His Holy Spirit, would defend the purity of this church. That he would defend the purity of the global church. That he would defend the purity of the church in San Angelo. Pray that our foundation as the people of God would be in our God-given identity as God's chosen, holy, and dearly loved children. All right. Our shared foundation is in our identity in Christ. We're given a shared mission, as God's chosen people to bless the nations. And we have a shared purity so that we would display God's glory and blessing. The final, point to our, the final piece to our framework of flourishing is that we have a shared love. We are all loved by God so that we can love God and love one another. We see in Joshua 1, 13 through 15, uh, one way that this shared love is worked out. to the land of your possession and shall possess it. The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. Did you catch that? Your wives and your children, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land, but all the soldiers shall pass over armed, ready for battle with your brothers and shall help them. We have a shared love. These Eastern tribes were called to fight with their brothers because they had a collective identity as God's people. The Eastern tribes were lumped in with the whole. They had already had their land. They had the option to say, no thanks. We're gonna stay here and not risk our lives. They didn't. They understood They're part of the whole. We have a hard time um, as Westerners, as Americans. I know that 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 gets thrown out as an easy excuse a lot of times, but this is one of the most prevalent ways that we as Americans struggle to understand the concept of a whole people because this nation is built on individual success. We as Westerners, as Americans, as enlightenment thinkers... We're all about our own success. And Jesus calls us into generosity. And I have seen a tremendous amount of generosity and togetherness in this church. I am not accusing this room as saying we're not together as a whole. What I am saying is that we have a given foundation from when we're kids that's instilled in us just from being here that we fight for ourselves. We scrap for ourselves Ancient Israel had this collective identity that these Eastern tribes were a part of the whole. It was no problem for them to say, yeah, we remember, we already had our stuff on. We're ready to fight and stand with our brothers. And for us at Redeemer, what this means is that we have this common mission, right? The shared mission to bless San Angelo and the nations. And we have this shared holiness that's given to us. And we have this shared love from God that is meant for us to love one another and the world so that we would live this Colossians 3 flourishing. This unity was not, it's not organic, it's not natural. It doesn't just happen This is a type of unity that can only come through fighting, through being actively, purposefully fighting for one another, not against one another. And so as we pursue Colossians 3 flourishing as a collective people, we must begin with our foundation. We must begin with our identity in Christ. If we're lacking unity, we have to look at how we understand the gospel. Now, um, I've got a quote from... Uh, Professor Ian Duguid, he talked about this from um, a conversation on persecution, but I feel like it really applies even here. He says this, you will never regret in eternity the sacrifices you made for Christ in the gospel. You will never regret in eternity the sacrifices you made for Christ in the gospel. And I might add, you will never regret in eternity the sacrifices you made for Christ's church. In Colossians 3.13, we gotta turn there quickly. Colossians 3.13, the Holy Spirit says, we bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. In Matthew 5.24, Jesus prohibits and at the same time defines hypocritical worship. He says, if you're gonna call, if you're gonna worship God, And you know that you're in conflict, what must you do first? Reconcile. Because, and here's why it's going back to that living contradiction. And so, here in just a minute, we're going to take communion. Now, hold on, I said communion. We're not quite done yet. I know that's like a Pavlovian response. If you're here, because wherever you left before here, you were angry and hurt. I don't don't want to invalidate the pain. I don't want to invalidate the anger or the wrong. But you have a responsibility. As God's chosen holy and dearly loved child, you have a responsibility to be reconciled with, with the church that you left. If you are here and there are people here that have caused you pain, that have made you angry, that have led to division, we have a responsibility to be reconciled. Because if we don't, we take ourselves out of the hole and say, I'm only for me. That is antithetical to the church. The church exists as a collective people with a collective identity and a shared love, a shared mission, and a shared purity. Reconciliation is a process. We don't hug it out and say, sorry, man, and move on. It's a process. It takes boldness. It takes courage. It takes fight to engage in that process. So do it with people you love, with people you trust, but do it. Communion. We've got our tables here on the front, and we added one in the back, hopefully helping with flow Communion is a unified expression of our collective identity as God's people. So if we're taking communion, we're saying we together are unified as God's people. Jesus in Matthew 5 prohibits and defines hypocritical worship as not being unified, but saying you're unified. And so I want to encourage and exhort you this morning that you are not behind. I have to remind myself of that. I love to remind you guys. We are not behind. If you're feeling the pressure of the Holy Spirit this morning to reconcile with your brothers and sisters, that's good. You're not behind. You're right where the Holy Spirit has you to be. If God is sovereign, you're just called to obey. So we celebrate communion together as the church, as a unified expression of our unity. But if you are not a Christian, that means you are not unified to Christ. That means you are not unified to the body. And so we ask that you would refrain. Because we do not want to ask you to be a hypocritical worshiper. But would you please consider this moment, consider what Christ has done for you and ask to be reconciled with him. Put your trust in him and follow him. Band, would you come up as we go into communion our last song of worship? Holy Father, we trust your goodness. We trust your son. We trust that you have forgiven us. And we lean on this forgiveness in order to be forgiven ourselves so that we can forgive one another. God, would you move in us? Would you give us boldness and courage to love you with our unity, to love one another with unity? Thank you, Father, for your son. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this book of Joshua that is leading and guiding us as we trust and follow you.